Perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. There's two sides of that because I think the way that I typically like to start with brands and how I think about it is building community. The way that I see brands doing that today is very transactional and it's very us focused, meaning like me, the brand, I need ROI, I need dollars, I'm a founder, I need to track this. So I'm just going to exploit you, the influencer, to try to get as much out of you as possible and then move on. Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Commerce. Whether you're a first-time listener or one of our loyal fans, thank you for joining the conversation today. This podcast is all about having thoughtful conversations with people really pushing e-commerce forward. I think you're really going to enjoy today's guest. I have with me Cody Wittick, who is the founder and CEO of a influencer marketing agency called Kinship. And they do influencer marketing quite different than you might expect, though. Influencer marketing is it's probably one of the hottest topics in e-commerce right now. Brands are leveraging it to skyrocket their growth. And to be honest, others are just throwing money away. There is definitely a right and a wrong way to do it. And Cody helps bring some clarity to that in this episode. Influencer marketing as an acquisition channel for e-commerce has grown rapidly. And for most D2C, direct-to-consumer brands, it's their number one source of sales traffic. So it's critical to understand how it works and to do it the right way. So without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with Cody. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Own Your Commerce. A couple quick stats I want to throw here really quick before we start. Did you know 47% of people aged 13 to 34 say they've purchased something online that a celebrity has spoken about or recommended? 86% of women use social media for purchasing advice. 60% of teens follow advice from influencers over celebrities. The person I have on my show is nodding right now. He knows all this. (laughs) Influencer marketing campaigns earn $6.50 for every dollar spent. 17% of companies spend over half their marketing budget on influencers. 92% of marketers use influencer marketing. Influencer marketing is the fastest growing online customer acquisition method and most major brands plan to increase spend on influencer marketing this year. The person I have with me is Cody Wittick. He's the CEO and founder of Kinship. I'll let him introduce himself. Go ahead, Cody. (laughs) Managing partner and co-founder. Co-founder. Okay. Okay. With my business partner, Taylor. Okay. Well, I hope I didn't cause any riffle there. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Yeah. Well, really quick, who are you and what is Kinship? Kinship, we're an influencer marketing agency. I came from the brand side before I started Kinship. I worked at one brand. It was called Kalo. They're still around. So it wasn't past tense. They created the silicone wedding ring industry. I was there for about five years. Got to work with a lot of big time celebrity influencers, but also the micros. And so with a use case like a wedding ring, it was very wide ranging. So I was able to work with a lot of different industries, which made my experience a lot more vast. And then jumped into starting Kinship. And Kinship was a name on purpose because we wanted to create Kinship with brands and influencers and all three of us kind of being a middle party to create family and really get past the transactional nature of influence marketing today. So a lot of the ways that we do things is at a deeper level, trying to create communities around brands with influencers, trying to get their content repurposed. We'll get into all this stuff. But so that's kind of why we exist. So as I was reading some of those stats in the beginning there, I saw you nodding your head. Probably none of those were really surprising to you, I don't imagine, right? 
No, <laughs> I was just paying attention to the ones where brands are increasing their their budgets because that means more money for us. So it means you're in the right business. Yeah, exactly. I have a lot of questions I want to ask you. If you have, I guess, one thing before we get into it that you want the world to know about influencer marketing, what is it? What's your mission with the company? There's two sides of that because I think the way that I typically like to start with brands and how I think about it is building community. The way that I see brands doing that today is very transactional and it's very us focused, meaning like me, the brand, I need ROI, I need dollars, I'm a founder, I need to track this. So I'm just going to exploit you, the influencer, to try to get as much out of you as possible and then move on. The thing I got to experience at Kalo with a product that obviously is meaningful to people like a wedding ring, but the principle nonetheless of building relationships on giving and not asking, I saw incredible value by doing that, by just giving the product away for free. And I saw people that were massive, massive names rally around our brand just because of doing that. The product had a significant impact on that. The brand was strong. You're celebrating something very meaningful to people like family. So not every brand has the ethos, but that is something that I believe I'm super passionate about bringing to brands is that power of building community and convincing brand owners that are so, and rightfully so, they're so focused on bottom line, but convincing them that this actually is the best long-term play. The short-term impressions and dollars and organic posts are nice, but it's not something that you measure around a relationship. Just like I want to measure that around our relationship if I care about something long term. So Kalo, just for those listening, that's Q-A-L-O. Correct. Not K-L-O, <laughs> which it always sounds like. Yeah. yeah, I'm quite familiar with them as well, too. They're the silicone. They make silicone rings, right? Right. There's a few companies doing that now. It seems to be kind of a neat trend. I guess you can't damage your finger or yeah. you can't get caught on something if you work in certain industries. Right. And there were some big names you worked with on the influencer, like LeBron James and... Leonard Jr. Let's dive into that just a little bit. How did you build those relationships? Yeah, it all started with literally getting them the product. So it was wide ranging from like just people like LeBron. We never worked with officially. We never had like official contract. I don't think he does contracts with brands. He just has equity for someone at his level, but he just wore the ring. And so we used images of him wearing the ring to get into retail partnerships or as leverage for that matter. Dale Earnhardt Jr., we had a year contract with him. And then we had people that we had on monthly contracts, stuff like that to produce UGC and stuff like that. So there's every level of the funnel and a very robust program. But building those relationships, honestly, I mean, Dale, the reason that we got to work with him is because for two years, I was sending him product and he dug it. And then by the time we worked together, I can't give you a number of what it would have been if we were approaching cold. But I can tell you that it would definitely be a higher fee if he didn't already love the product and he wasn't telling his agent, basically saying, hey, I want to work with these guys. I love the product. So there is some credibility, especially if you're going to work at that macro level. But how I got to Dale is just working usually through networks of different people, people that connect with him, or it's a lot of relationship building one-on-one, even with influencers. So like the same way that I want to get connected to you or someone else in marketing, who knows him? (laughs) And how do I get to him? Same way. Yeah. So what does that mean? You mentioned that you build relationships on giving, not asking. What does that mean? It means giving them the product without asking for anything in return, typically. So for e-commerce brands, that's what we see best long-term for brands. And short-term, there is some ROI that we can get into for sure. But at the very basic level, it just means, Jay, I'm giving you my product. And it's just because I would love for you to wear my hat. And I think it's going to be awesome. 
and you are a perfect person that I think represents my brand. And that's it. I'm not asking for three Instagram stories right away because I just believe that the relationship is going to be greater value to me than those three Instagram stories. Okay. So let's dive into that a little bit. So like Kinship is a influencer marketing agency. Is that the proper way to describe it? Mm -hmm. You work with brands, right? consulting them on a strategy or do you actually do some of the legwork? We execute. Okay. So if I came to you with my hat company, you would find the specific people, yeah. ship them the products and curate the messaging or is it kind of like a tag team effort where you would say, hey, Jay, here's the 50 people we recommend sending it to and then I send them out or like, what does that look like? Yeah, we would handle everything A to Z, but we have incredible input from you. So on our kickoff call together, we would basically say like, what are the brand personas that are already buying your product? And who are the personas that you'd want to actually get the product out to? So like maybe a new category that you're trying to break into. These are the people that are buying my product. You know, maybe this is the category that I would love for people to buy my product. And these are the influencers that represent those two to three categories. So we're able to populate a list and we don't represent talent. So that's another like influencer marketing agency red flag. We don't represent talent. We're not motivated to get anybody any deal. We're just trying to find you the best influencers on behalf of you, the brand and product. And then we have standard messaging that is built on giving, not asking messaging. So all we would need from you is basically like a one-liner to describe your brand in a very concise way when we outreach over email or DM. And then if the brands are on Shopify, then we have a Shopify app that we're able to sync to their store. And we're able to handle sending out the orders directly to the influencers on behalf of them. So we're not saying, hey, Jay, here's a list of 50 addresses. We need you to do it. We're just doing it automatically as people respond and say they opt in. The app creates the order in the store? Yeah, the app works basically the same way as if someone ordered off the website. That's how you would see it on the back end. But we're just doing it ourselves through the app. And then as an agency, obviously, we're like able to populate a list of 300, 500 influencers for someone internally at a brand that maybe is without a discovery tool or anything like that. That's going to take a lot of time. But that's what we do at scale on behalf of our brands that we're able to put a list in front of you, outreach, send out the product through the app. I get 50 orders and they're going to go out to influencers Yeah, with a note in it that says, hey, this hat is ideal for whatever, beach people or something. <laughs> now, eventually there has to be an ask or do you just wait and can you just know that 10% of people you send it to are going to reply and say like, this hat's actually really awesome. It dries in five seconds. There has to be an ask at some point. Yeah, well, I would say after the fact. The follow-up. Okay. I compare it to dating a lot. You're married, correct? I see a wedding ring. Yeah. If you ask your future wife or you ask your current wife on your first date, like if you're going to ask her to buy dinner, you know, like, hey, can I take you out? But can you buy dinner? You guys could have had a good first date, but the prospects of a second date probably aren't unlikely. So that's what I compare it to, like asking things on the first impression. Like this influencer has never heard of you. They've never been to your website. And so I would say that same progression of kind of like how the relationship progresses in dating is the same thing with influencers. And so that ask comes later. So we have like on behalf of our clients, we say conservatively about 30% of people opt in to what we outreach to. And then we say 30% of those will post for free without us even asking. And that's across the board. So like if we break down those numbers, if you're going to even outreach to 100 or 300 people, or let's just use the even number of 100, that's 30 people. and then. That's 10 of those 30 that are posting for free. Awesome. The 20 that are interested in posting or creating content, then do you work out a price or negotiate that? Or do I set that as the brand? Like this is how much I'm willing to pay or is it now that depends on the creator? 
We handle that as well. So we're handling basically like any influencer that we send product to, we're uploading onto a software called Mighty Scout. And this Mighty Scout software is able to track whether they post or not, because that is a variable. So they're saying like, hey, if Jay Myers posts, we're going to be able to track this content, the organic performance, but also it's going to be downloadable. So it's going to be able to scrape from like your Instagram. Then, especially if we really like the content, we're going to say, hey, Jay, like, can we use this content in ads for 30 days? Share it across our socials. Yeah, sure. Of course. Most of the time, these are micro influencers, so smaller tier influencers. So we're not dealing with like the macros that are going to get their agent involved and stuff like that. So that's all we really need verbally to give us content rights. And so then we take that content, we reformat it, we caption it, and we send it back to the brand and basically say, get this live in your ad account. So we only send them content that's usable. The final step in all that was we're sending out an NPS survey score, basically, to all the influencers that did receive product. That's just more data for them to understand how big of a fan they are of the brand. But to answer your question, it's like, yes, we're following up for content rights. And then if they grant us content rights, we're sending it back to the brand to be able to use primarily in Facebook. Okay. So you'd come back to me and you say, hey, Jay, I've got these 20 creators that are interested in posting. No, they've already posted. Oh, they've already posted. What do I pay them? You don't pay them anything. It's free. Yeah, because we didn't ask for anything. Well, fair enough. Okay. Okay. That's true. So it's like, hey, Jay, like we would love to send you this hat. You're a perfect fit for our brand. If you're interested, let us know. All we need is your address. You send us your address. We get you the product through the Shopify app. You get the product. You're like, man, this hat is sick. Like, I love it. And like you throw it up on your Instagram story for free without us even asking. We track that content. We download that content. We follow up for you and say, hey, can we use this content? on brand's behalf okay. and ads. And then we send it to the brand and they get it right live in their ad account. So they get the organic post for free and you get the asset formatted and captioned right away. So that's the short-term ROI that you get immediately is like on conservative measure, we get 30% of people that are posting for free without us even asking. And then those posts, I know you can do this with Facebook. I think Instagram too. Like if someone posts and tags the brand there's like a checkbox that shows up that will say, allow brand to boost this post, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They would have to tag it as a branded partner and the brand would have to accept it as like an official branded partner, like sponsored by. Is that your recommended way of doing it? Or do you recommend that, you know, John, who's wearing my hat, he boosts it and now we reimburse him and he does it through his ad account. If they do a post and we say, hey, we want to now like, drop a thousand bucks and boost this post to we create an audience or use Facebook's targeting. Yeah. What's the recommended way to do that? Well, we basically are doing that by just following up for content rights and downloading the content anyways, and getting it live in that account. Like what you're hinting at is we're not necessarily a fan of boosting posts necessarily. We like the whitelisting approach much more where it's, we're actually getting access. What does that mean? It's effectively the same thing besides the fact that we're getting access into their audience rather than just kind of like, you have more control, right? Like within boosting posts, when you go through the steps of the process, it's just kind of boosting that organic post. But with whitelisting, you can run any creative through that influencer's handle. Usually it is the influencer's creative, but you're running it through their handle. So you've seen it a thousand times as you scroll. Jessica Alba with HelloFresh. Like it just says Jessica Alba sponsored by HelloFresh, but it's her handle. Actually, like the creative served from her name. Right. Okay. So that's what I was referring to the first one. As long as they do that as a collaborative post, tag the brand, then the brand can pay to boost it. Yeah. If the influencer does that on their own, sure. We just aren't directing them to do that either way. Because again, we're not asking for anything. So this is all bonus. If they post, great. We're not directing them to do like the branded approved thing partner so that they can whitelist. 
the brand wanted to ask for that right away, we would still recommend getting the content live in that account first to judge whether this is worth going back to the influencer for whitelisting or for boosting. They wanted to do that. So a lot of this is just testing the creative, testing which creative is working, which creators are working to see what's successful. Sorry if I'm getting a little bit into the weeds on this, but I just, I find it it. fascinating. (laughs) Well, like from a real practical standpoint, like I imagine 10 different agencies approach it 10 different ways. There's not like a one size fits all. And like, if you just Google influencer marketing platforms, there's dozens. I did it before the show. There's Upfluence, Hashtag Paid, Izia, Captivate, Influencer Marketing Hub, The Circle, Collaborate, (laughs) IndieHash, the list goes on. There's a lot of noise. Right. So that might be the way that if I didn't know anything about influencer marketing, that's probably how I would approach it. I would go on one of these marketplaces. You know, a lot of them have like a filter system. I'm in sporting goods. My demographic is, you know, men 40 to 50 years old or whatever. And then there's like a list of influencers and then they all have a different rate and it's based off of, I guess, their followers or just what they want to pay. Like, what's your thoughts on that? Is that a bad way to go or is that a maybe to start that way? Or like in conjunction maybe with what someone would do with you. So like maybe you do it in tandem. I just think it can be incredibly confusing. People think that they need all these bells and whistles when they first start. Like I need a CRM, all these other tools that you just mentioned. I need this discovery tool. The problem is like, especially at brands internally, if they're big enough, they might have someone dedicated to influencer marketing or they have someone that's doing it as a part of their job that they also handle email and they have a small team that like they don't really have time for all this and so they feel like they need all these tools i feel like it's sometimes more hurtful than helpful and there's a lot of free tools like at your disposal to be able to like reach out to influencers discover influencers like facebook even itself has its own discovery tool that's free that you could just start out and test it. See if you have time to even like dedicate towards using a tool instead of just forking over a ton of money for it. Yeah, that's interesting. Last question on the granular stuff before I want to get into big picture stuff, but what's the payment model like? So is it then by number of influencers or by number of posts or if someone works with your agency? Oh, it works with us? Yeah. We break it down in the per head that we're reaching out to for like something like the seating program. We have other packages as well, but for that specifically, usually it's like 300 or 500 influencers that we're reaching out to and it's just charged a flat fee per head. But then it includes everything else that we just talked about, like every time. Right. And the seating platform, a seat is a creator, a person who's posting. Oh, the seating. Oh, package. seating. Oh, seating. Seating. I sorry. Yeah, and I misheard influencer you. seating. Sorry. Yes. Giving your product out for free, usually to influencers. A lot of people use gifting, but gifting programs are often confused with what we do, which is not what we do. A lot of gifting programs are guaranteeing posts or guaranteeing like the influencer is going to post about you, which we don't. Gotcha. Okay. So taking a step back, given that like, you know, some of those stats I read earlier that 92% of marketers are using influencer marketing and almost all major brands are planning on increasing spend. And, you know, you look at all these numbers, like not everyone's going to (laughs) win. What are the brands that are going to win? What are they doing differently than the ones that aren't winning? And I guess, so like, what do brands do right? And what do brands do wrong when it comes to influencer marketing? Yeah, this is a great question. I would say the more that you can think about influencer marketing alongside your customer experience, the better. So if you can think about your customer experience, like unboxing, super important. It makes the customer feel like, wow, they're really a part of something special. Same thing for influencer. The more that you can think about like that end user experience being really, really awesome, the better your influencer marketing is going to be as well. So that goes to the first impression, your outreach message. That goes to the unboxing that they receive in the mail. 
that goes to like the follow-up emails if they do subscribe to your email list and stuff like that. So that I think the more that you're investing in brand, that's what I would say is brand is like those certain things that are involved, the better, because that's where I see a lot of differentiation between like the influencers that are rallying around brands versus the ones that are not. It's just they're going too transactional, they're focused too much on profit, and they're sacrificing the product to use the Steve Jobs quote. Yep. Those are some of the things to circle back to what brands are doing well with influencer. I see a lot of people that are focusing on the content more and more, which I think is the right way to go. But still, there's the other side of the coin of that, which is a lot of brands are really so still focused on the organic performance of things, which is just really hard to actually get sales out of organic. I mean, you hear like the stories of TikTok, you know, like I sent my product to a TikToker and he blew up and I had $500 million of sales in one (laughs) post. Those are all just outliers still. Like that is not just every time you work just like Instagram in 2014 when I was doing that same thing. Those are outliers as well. But I see the trend of the focus being more on the content than the distribution, but there's still a ton of focus on I think even the biggest brands in the world are still focused on organic distribution. They're also the ones doing TV commercials as well. So it's an interesting way of looking at it. Like when you say optimizing the experience, when you, so when you're seeding your product, Mm -hmm. you want the person who gets it to share it. That's a healthy way of thinking about your whole experience in general. Right. Every brand should think about how do they maximize that experience from the time it's ordered to when they receive it. I think even like email sequences in between there, getting them ready for it, educating them on the product, letting them know what communities they can join or other things. And then after they get it, educating them, it's a healthy process to go through to say like, okay, we're going to send this to a hundred influencers. We want them to try to share it. Like you should be doing that every time and your customers can (laughs) just be your, your influencers. Yes, totally. You mentioned before we got on air, you're putting together an influencer marketing course. Can we talk a little bit about that? I don't know where you are in the journey putting that together, but I imagine that experience must be part of it. Yes, it is part of it. No, it's it's live. It's out there in the world if people want to go learn about it. Okay. So it's been live about a month. Where do people find it? Kinship.podia.com. So it's on Podia. I'll throw a link. That's the platform. We really started thinking about not only like we're for people that were coming inbound to our agency that ended up not affording us, but they really wanted to do influencer. And we really wanted to equip them and educate Mm -hmm. them. So we put just everything that we're talking about today and even more into that course and basically said, hey, here it is for you. So it's been fun. It's a lot of work, but it was a great journey. I respect that it sounds like you have the mindset, like give away the knowledge. And if someone wants to do it themselves, by all means, but if someone wants to hire you because they see the value and the time, like, I never like when people hide knowledge and information and they have it, it's secret sauce and they don't want to tell anyone. Like you kind of seem like an open book, like, hey, here's what we do. Feel free to do it on your own. But your time, like a brand's time is probably best spent working on their product, working on their business, leverage the people that know it. So I think that's admirable, especially that you built a course teaching people how to do it. <laughs> so Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, there's more than enough than to go around. I think, I mean, if I'm going to preach, build relationships on giving, not asking them. I should probably right. love it. So <laughs> you should probably be giving. You should probably giving away value. What are the best platforms for influencer marketing? Best platforms, you said? Yeah, like social media platforms. Oh, I would still say Instagram is kind of the market leader still. TikTok is really interesting. 
I think the world is kind of going towards more short form content, at least somewhat. I mean, people still listen to three hour episodes of Joe Rogan. So I don't know how short form we're getting. But yeah, I would say Instagram is still the market leader. I don't see that really changing ever anytime soon. The mothership of Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. And I was doing a little Googling earlier and it's like the number of success rates. It's like Instagram post, then Instagram stories, then YouTube video, then Instagram video, then Facebook post and Facebook video, then tweets, then Facebook live, YouTube live. Snapchat was like way down. Like what happened to Snapchat? (laughs) I don't know. We've never done any influencer campaign on Snapchat. They didn't latch onto that, eh? I guess not. I would say, well, when Instagram introduced stories and basically coped Snapchat, then that was definitely a big thing. You could have said the same thing about when they sort of copied well, not sort of, but copy TikTok with Reels. But TikTok is still such a very obvious competitor. It's crazy that a year ago we were talking about, will TikTok be a thing? I know. Literally a year ago, you know? Yeah, certainly is. <laughs> I think actually episode two, I remember I had Steve from Mute 6 on. And like I remember talking about that. Doesn't seem like that long ago. And some of the topics were, what's the deal with TikTok? Is it going to be around? Like it wasn't yeah. that long ago. You mentioned micro-influencers. Like, what is a micro-influencer? Where do you draw the line? So again, if you would Google this, you're going to get a thousand different definitions. So I'm sorry, the, the market is not entirely helpful. But how we define it is just usually it's like that 5, 10K, between 150K of following. So that's how we would define it. We just use follower count as guide rails to identify people. That is it. We're not looking into it any further than that. It's just specifically to just get a pool of people. So that's how we define it. When someone has 50,000 followers, I feel like that's a significant amount. And you would still lump them in the micro. Yeah, I get, I get it. They're not like millions. It's not like a yeah, Kardashian right. or someone. But <laughs> when you send them product, I imagine they're still probably expecting some compensation for some posts. No, or even at that level, you find they're just happy to share. And, sure, if we ask for that. But if you don't, if you don't say anything about it, you've, you're, you're saying that's that 30%. Right. Interesting. That goes back to like the power of the product and power of the brand, you know, that user experience. So we always recommend like making that unboxing a little bit more special, including a handwritten note if you can, or upgrading it for the time being for the campaign, because it definitely increases people posting. But I mean, we also contract influencers too, like on behalf of brands that we work with. We work with them and there's a contract and we're asking for things up front on our first outreach and stuff like that. So it's not just we all do seating, but we definitely recommend for brands outside of just working with us as an agency, if you're going to start or trying to scale your influencer program in-house, I just believe there's no better way than doing it through product seating. That makes sense. And then the content, once you have them sign off that you can use it, you can then repurpose it on any of your own brand's content, on your own blog posts, can you like embed it on your website? You can kind of slice that up and use it any way you want, I imagine. Yeah. Is that all in the agreement? Sorry, I keep going back to the delineation between like product seeding when we're not asking for anything. But if we are contracting an influencer, there is clear like because when we're doing outreach to influencers on just getting them the product, we're not sending them a contract. We're just following up for content rights. But if we are going to contract an influencer, let's say like we've seen their content perform really well, or we know that they're killer on content creation. We want to work with Jay Myers because he's an awesome YouTuber and he produces really good content. Then we always contract content in perpetuity across all marketing channels. If you like content about my kids sledding down (laughs) hills, follow me on YouTube. (laughs) Perfect. Is anything posted on public platforms? Are you allowed to put that on your site? Like a hashtag, for example, if you have a unique hashtag for your brand, 
There's a lot of apps that can bring that hashtag into a feed on your site. Is that all fair game? You don't have to run that by brands as long as they're posting publicly. You can then embed that anywhere you want. That used to be the case for sure. I believe that's changed now. I'm not a lawyer or FTC guidelines expert. So don't make any decisions based off of this. Check with your counsel. I would look into that for sure. Where does UGC play into all of this? I kind of see blurred lines, so user-generated content. I had Chris Mead from Spikeball on recently. I think it was episode four or something, if anyone wants to scroll back. One of the things he was very open about on the episode was how they leveraged UGC to really scale their brand. So they did something where when they sent out a, a Spikeball... Like a set, yeah. Sorry, not Spikeball, CrossNet. CrossNet. Spikeball's their competitor. Yeah. <laughs> Spikeball is the one that you hit down kind of like onto a trampoline. Cross net is basically a volleyball net cut into four. It's like four square, but volleyball. Yeah. Similar, but different. Anyways, they would send out the net. Well, they would order it and then they would have an email that goes out and then said, hey, send us a video of you using it. Just record it with your iPhone and we'll refund you 20 bucks. And they started getting like tons of videos and then they just turn those videos into ads. And if you follow them and start getting retargeted with their ads, you'll just see a lot of it's just like people play in their backyard. It's not professionally created content. It's just user generated content. Where does that play into this? The only delineation between UGC and what we would call IGC, just influencer generated content, is just there are people that do this all day long. Like if I wanted to go to a pool of people between my customers, my friends and family that, you know, brands often do for UGC and influencers, like what's going to give me the best opportunity to get awesome, authentic content? I would choose influencers every day of the week, just because a lot of these people created a following one off the backs of their content creation ability. And two, they're doing this all the time. And it goes to the point though, that this has to be authentic. So that start with product seeding, start with getting them to adopt the brand and product. That's where I see because a lot of that product seeding package that we went through in very minute detail, that leads to a ton of UGC. The influencers are posting, we're getting the content, we're getting it live in that account. And it's the same thing. But yeah, huge fan of UGC, huge fan of getting that content. I just think, and even raw, the more raw, the better, the more native to the feed, the better. Yeah, I guess it's just better quality UGC. Yeah, sure. Like going to my cousin who's is very uncomfortable on camera. I hope he doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> Poor guy. That was just an example. But CrossNet, like there's no talking. It was just like set up your phone and just start playing the game. That's great. But like a lot of brands predominantly, like they need some talking points to explain the product or explain like how this makes them feel or look or all that stuff. So that's where using professionals, what I would say influencers is to your advantage. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like with Kalo. What are you going to do? Just film the ring laying on a desk? <laughs> exactly. Like you need someone to show and it, it makes sense. CrossNet definitely lends itself to just film people playing. It can be your kids in the backyard. And I'm sure they had content that they're talking about it, how fun it was and all that stuff. But maybe they use influencers for those things. Where do you think influencer marketing is going to be in three to five years from now? What's going to be different? Hmm. I hope the vanity metrics are completely gone. That's what I hope for. So follower count, engagement rate, likes, none of those things would really affect the way that we think about it. People went up in arms when Adam Mosseri at Instagram was saying, we're going to remove likes. All these celebrities, even like, I don't know who, what Cardi B was like, I'm dropping off Instagram and all this stuff. <laughs> but it doesn't affect the way that we think because we focus so much on the content creation. It would be a lot more healthy for people too. I was just going to say that. If you could not see how many followers someone had 
and you just followed them for their content and what they put out. That'd be a true follow. That's a true follow. Exactly. I agree. I want to get into a quick lightning round after. One last question is on the influencer side. Is there any final piece of advice you would give brands right now, maybe on the fence or considering leveraging influencer marketing this next year? Yeah, I would implement the strategy that we talked about. You could do that internally. We broke it down pretty clearly. That strategy applies to one or a thousand people in terms of product seeding. As many as possible, I'd be sending out your product to based on your budget, based on your cogs, I would send out as many as you can. Start building those relationships because I think the community will scale you and have compounding value much larger than even that Instagram post that you asked for. Because now you have a community of people that you can tap on and basically say like, maybe not everyone's an amazing content creator, but like the ones that you do identify, like work with them, have them produce UGC on a month to month basis and pay them accordingly. Have people that you just continually seed product to and build relationships with. Have people that you sign up for ambassador or affiliate programs, like whatever you want to do. Now you have a pool of people that you can tap on. So definitely invest in product seeding in one way or another, whether you can send out five products or 50. And then two... If you're not using UGC or if you're not using Influencer Creative, we've just seen time and time again that perform really, really well within Facebook ads and providing on average a 15% lift in the ad accounts that we run. So getting that Influencer Creative into your ad account, into your paid media mix, I would definitely recommend and testing it, seeing what works. I know you said this earlier, the whole tracking ROI, you said kind of don't make that at the front. But is there a way like I would want the products I send out, I would consider them part of my CAC, customer acquisition cost. If I'm taking a budget that I spend, because this is going to be going through brands heads right now, like, well, my product is $500 or my product is $200. And if I have a budget that I spend 20 grand a month on, on advertising through Facebook and Instagram, and someone wants to experiment and say, maybe I'll take a percentage of that, I'll take 10 grand and I'll put it towards product seeding. And so I'll take 10 grand of product and send it out. Is there a way... Can you track through these people or through that platform? I can't remember the name. Mighty Scout. Yeah. So that tracks that they did post. And the organic performance. So you get the organic metrics. Can it follow it through to a sale? That's only if you give them a discount code up front, like on that post specifically. Gotcha. We're going to say track sales within Facebook. So get that content, get content rights and track it within Facebook. That's all the attribution that you would want or need. What does that mean? Track within Facebook through their ads platform? Yeah, exactly getting the content live in that account. I would just think about it in the way that even in the short term, if you're going to send product to 100 people, 30 people get the product and 10 of those posts. So how much would you pay for 10 free organic posts? And how much would you pay for at least 10 assets? But on average across, again, these are averages, we see two to three assets per creator. So someone throwing up three Instagram stories at once, or they're posting several times based on the use case of the product. So that's 10 to 30 assets, like how much would you pay for those from influencers that you're basically getting for free at that point? So like, I would think about it from a budget perspective too, like how much are you paying for content creation and organic posting that you're not even paying for really specifically, you're just sending out the product and then tracking the ROI on that once you get creative live in that account. Okay. So you're not necessarily tracking that initial post that they do like, Hey, Jay just sent me this ad. It looks super awesome. Fits great, dries fast. But then the follow-up then when you turn those into ads, tracking from that. Okay, makes sense. I learned a lot. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, it was fun. I want to jump into the lightning round questions here before we run out of time. Yeah. I don't know if you had a chance to read through them or not before, I but I ask every guest this. One day I'm going to turn it into a blog post with all the answers or maybe an ebook and you know, you'll be famous. <laughs> so <laughs> can't wait. I got six here. 
first question is, what's the biggest mistake in e-commerce you see merchants or brands make? I'll go back to the Steve Jobs quote, profit before product. But I would say that I would change it into the influencer and say cash before community. Maybe I should trademark that. There you go. <laughs> They're focused on the transactional nature versus building a relationship with the influencer. I like it. Do you have a pet peeve when you shop online? Oh man, there's so many that came up to mind, but I would say just overall busyness, like a lot of pop-ups or tons of different like landing pages and drop-down menus, just a ton of going on. That's a pet peeve for sure. Yep, I agree. What's your favorite thing about your job? The ability to implement things after brainstorming and just doing it right away. There's no hoops. There are a lot of advantages to owning your own business. So it's like, all right, we're going to go with this route, implement it right away. Yeah, you wake up in the morning and your day is yours, right? Exactly. What's your favorite online store? Or if you don't have a favorite one, the last place you bought something? Yeah, I don't have a favorite. And besides Amazon, <laughs> the last thing that I bought something, I bought something from Rogue Fitness, building out a home gym. Oh, cool. As is the rest of the world, right? Exactly. Rogue's doing very well. Oh, yeah, that's right. Is that because of the injury? Well, yeah. And basically like the gym changing. Yeah. What's the number one thing you think stores could be doing to grow sales, but aren't? There's a lot of brands that are doing this, but I would say, especially with like the iOS 14 updates, having a robust email channel would be very important. So that was actually the thing that came to mind. Yeah, it makes sense. It's that owned media. It's the thing that no one can take away from you, right? Right. Last question. Most of our listeners are business owners and entrepreneurs. Can you end with a favorite quote or any advice that's helped you that you'd like to share? Well, besides the phrase that I need to trademark as well, build relationships on giving, not asking. My favorite quote is, what's obvious to you is amazing to others by Derek Sivers. Mm. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier about just sharing, keep sharing, keep providing value to people. You don't have to have a scarcity mindset. There's more than enough to go around. And so that inspires me as like a business owner and agency owner that wants to put out content and share content. Man, what's obvious to me doing influencer marketing for six plus years is really amazing to at least hopefully one person listening to this. And it just makes me more motivated to share. And so like for brand owners, what's obvious to you is amazing to others. Just keep sharing, keep providing value to your customers or your network. But I love that quote. I like that too. Where can people find you or learn more about Kinship? Yeah, I'm very active on Twitter and Instagram. That's kind of where I put out content on influence marketing. I'm just at Cody Wittick on both. Connecting with me would be therefore connecting with my agency. And then we mentioned the course as well. That's on Podia for people that are interested in building out an internal program and learning a ton. We gave away a ton of value there. Awesome. And for those listening, Kinship is K-Y-N-S-H-I-P. And is it dot co? I can't remember. Dot co. Correct. Dot co. Yeah, the new trendy <laughs> TLD. All about the trend. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cody. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Jay. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week. 